Well, the sermon text for this morning is from 2 Samuel 21. Second Samuel 21, and we'll be looking at the first 14 verses. That's on page 341 in the Pew Bible. So either just listen or read along to this portion of God's Word. Uh, this is uh, 2 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 14. Now there was a, a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said, It is for Saul and his bloody house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the sons of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the sons of Israel made a covenant with them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the sons of Israel and Judah. Thus David said to the Gibeonites, What should I do for you? And how can I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord. Then the Gibeonites said to him, We have no concern of silver or gold with Saul or his house, nor is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, I will do for you whatever you say. So they said to the king, The man who consumed us and who planned to exterminate us from remaining within any border of Israel, let seven from his sons be given to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of John, because of the oath of the Lord between them, between David and Saul's son, Jonathan. So the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, uh, uh, Armoni and Mephibosheth, whom she had borne to Saul, and the five sons of Mirab, the daughter of Saul, whom she had borne to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholathite. Then he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the mountain before the Lord, so that the seven of them fell together. And they were put to death in the first days of the harvest, at the beginning of the barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Aah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until it rained on them from the sky. And she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. When it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Aah, of the concubine of Saul, had done, then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the open square of Beth-Shan, 
where the Philistines had hanged them on the day the Philistines struck down Saul in Gilboa. He brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. And they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zelah, in the grave of Kish, his father. Thus they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God was moved by prayer for the land. All the way uh, since the since the pandemic started, part of our our public worship and uh, no doubt part of your your private and family worship has been uh, that that we would learn lessons from it, that we would learn as a, as a nation, uh, as the church, as individuals, uh, what the Lord would have us to learn uh, from bringing uh, such an event uh, to us. Uh, there's. Uh, there's, uh, there's always uh, an account of God's sovereignty when things happen, especially things on a national and global scale like this, that uh, he, he is uh, using these things to serve his purposes. And we do pray and continue to pray uh, that uh, people would respond to this in faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ and recognize our frailty and our need of salvation. And I thought about that in connection with, with today's passage because the Lord brings famine on Israel. And He brings it for three years. And He brings it with purpose. And, uh, and David prays and we find out the purpose. And, and uh, that will be what we deal with in the text today. If there's a reminder in all of that uh, to, to see uh, how we are to interpret the, the things of the day, uh, the, uh, the tragedies and the difficulties that are brought in God's providence, and see how we might respond rightly to them in faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And let's see that as we work our way through. First, an old sin revealed in verses 1 and 2. Now, last time we looked at 2 Samuel 1940 through 2027, and there we saw David encounter several different situations that were very difficult for him as he sought to bring the country together after the end of Absalom's failed rebellion. Now, there were divisive words and, and hostility between the northern tribes of Israel and David's home tribe of Judah in the south. Uh, the distrust and the lack of unity were certainly a, a troubling thing. We also saw Joab murder Amasa, uh, the former rebel whom David appointed as Joab's replacement as commander of the army. Sadly, we also saw that David once again failed to hold Joab accountable for his sins. And we saw a wise and godly woman act boldly to protect her city from destruction by Joab's forces. Joab informed her that they had laid siege to the city to defeat a rebel named Sheba who had entered. And so the people of that city then brought that man to justice and were spared. 
In today's passage, we're told of a famine that God brought on Israel due to a sin committed by King Saul many years earlier. Uh, he broke a long-standing covenant promise to the Gibeonites. And the only way to end the famine was to satisfy justice through the death of seven of Saul's descendants. They served as, as substitutes who were brought to justice. Now in all that, we'll see that sin from the past doesn't simply go away if undealt with biblically. That the Lord brings justice eventually to, to nations and to individuals. And by justice being brought through substitution, we are pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that's offered in Him. And we begin with verses 1 and 2, which present the situation to us. <clears throat> but before we look at those verses, we need to note the larger structure of the, the book of 2 Samuel. Most Old Testament scholars see chapters 21 through 24 of 2 Samuel as, as sort of an appendix, uh, a collection of various events in David's kingship that are not necessarily in chronological order. Uh, these things are, are just added at the end uh, for our, our sanctification. Uh, they, they are included by the human author, and so certainly God the Holy Spirit who directed him, uh, to give us additional glimpses of David's kingship and his walk with the Lord. Verse 1 tells us that sometime during uh, the kingship of David, there is a famine that lasts for three years. A famine in those days would, would be caused by drought, and we see that in the context uh, of the, uh, of the uh, chapter as well. And a drought... Famine that lasts for three years is, is devastating to the nation of Israel. There would be lack of food. There would be hunger. There would be high prices for whatever food remains. And there would be, no doubt, death by malnutrition or starvation. Yet the famine and drought that occurs in Israel and other such occurrences in the world are under the sovereignty of the one true God the Lord God of Israel. And so, as the famine persists, David wonders if the Lord has sent it for a particular purpose. After all, Israel was told back in Deuteronomy 28 and 18 that included among the covenant curses for disobeying the Lord and His commands are, Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. And so when there is famine, when there are no crops, it is wise for, for David to inquire to the Lord to see if this is being brought for a particular lesson or purpose. And so David seeks the presence of the Lord in prayer. And the Lord answers him, explaining why the famine is happening. He says, It is for Saul and his bloody house, because he has put the Gibeonites to death. Now the Gibeonites were a Canaanite people who were spared from destruction back when Israel came into the promised land after the exodus from Egypt. Israel was commissioned by God to, to wage war against the pagan peoples that occupied the land at the time to either destroy them or to drive them away. Now the Gibeonites were, were one of those people groups. 
But you may recall that they tricked Joshua into making a foolish covenant promise. Accounts found in Joshua chapter 9. And the Lord required Israel to keep their promise. And so the Gibeonites lived among Joshua 9 and 27 says, Joshua made that day, made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of the Lord to this day. And so they remained for many generations laboring in Israel. But sometime during King Saul's rule, our verse 2 tells us that, that Saul broke this covenant promise and put the Gibeonites to death. In fact, tried to eliminate them. Our verse 2 says, Now the Gibeonites were not, uh, not of the sons of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites, and the sons of Israel made a covenant with them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the sons of Israel and Judah. Now again, we don't know exactly when during his reign this happened, but we're told that Saul thought he was doing well in this, motivated by zeal for Israel and Judah. God had, had put him to be Israel's defender, and in fact, at one point, uh, the Lord told him to totally destroy the Amalekites. That was back in 1 Samuel 15, which he did not do and, and uh, led to his downfall. But he was probably thinking, well, why, why not these people as well? Why not the Gibeonites? Yet as with so much of Saul's actions, he did not obey the Lord. He did not consult the word of God. He just did what he thought was right. Notice as well that this had occurred years earlier. Saul is long dead. And the Gibeonites who died in this, that event are also long gone. Yet the Lord has not forgotten what was done. He has not forgotten Saul's sins and the deaths that it brought. And in the Lord's timing... It is now time to deal with these past sins. There are several things to note here. Notice that, that we are to keep God's word and not decide to adjust it uh, to what we think is good or appropriate as Saul did. Joshua had made uh, for Israel a covenant promise to the Gibeonites. And this was clearly stated in God's word for Israel to keep. Saul's disregard for this, no matter how good his intentions, was sinful and wrong. There's a reminder here that we dare not uh, merely follow our own seemingly good intentions or what might seem to work pragmatically or might produce a favorable outcome. In any uh, walk of life, uh, in, in our personal lives, in the church, it, 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 as a nation... As a substitute for following and knowing God's word and obeying what it says. <clears throat> in Psalm 143, we say, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on, on level ground. And so we want to come back to the word of God and, and as the Holy Spirit applies it to us and opens our eyes to it. 
and not simply go on what, what our inclinations are. 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we are to come back to the Word of God and follow what it says. Not be like Saul and simply do what we think is right. Notice as well that uh, this sin from years earlier has not been forgotten. Now, the wrongs committed against the Gibeonites were not forgotten by God. The Lord delayed justice, but His perfect righteousness and His plan will bring justice to pass. Now, this is important for, for individuals and for nations to remember. The Lord does not forget. And so while it may appear as though uh, you've gotten away with past sins long ago, the Lord certainly saw them all, and His memory is perfect. Sometimes justice comes uh, right after sin, but sometimes it is delayed uh, from our vantage point for sure. And sometimes it waits till judgment day. But one way or another, one time or another, sins will be accounted for and justice will be brought by God. For individuals were reminded in, in Hebrews 9 and 27, is appointed, it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. And Revelation 20 tells us that on the last, uh, that I saw the white, great white throne and him who sat upon it. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Our friend Gordon Petty writes, People may forget our past sins, but God never forgets, because he will perfectly vindicate his law and those who have been wronged. From the Lord's perspective, nothing merely blows over. There is no statute of limitations with the justice of God. There will be accountability, sometimes here, but always before God's throne, eventually. The only way to avoid God's judgment is not by pretending that past sins go away, but by taking hold of God's forgiveness and mercy offered in Jesus Christ and to trust and repent in Him. In Him alone there is mercy and forgiveness for sins past and present and future. And so it is to... To, is a, there is a reminder here uh, to bring past sins to Jesus Christ and to know His salvation. And a reminder that in that salvation there is forgiveness. Notice as well that the Lord acts among the nations for what they do. Saul was held to account for his sins as an individual, as an unbeliever, and was judged at his death. But nations are also accountable. And as head of Israel, he broke a covenant promise. And so there is justice brought 
on a larger national stage. When nations rise and fall, when there are wars and plagues and disasters, it is wise for nations and for leaders to think on their national sins and see how they might repent and trust in the Lord. You can remember how the Lord sent a reluctant, reluctant Jonah to Nineveh, which was a wicked, wicked place. And they responded rightly and, and repented of their great wickedness, and they were spared judgment. It is no different today that the nations are to be repenting of their national sins and submitting to Christ and confessing Him. National leaders are given both warning and hope in, in Psalm 2 that we sang earlier. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. The Lord, by this plague, is getting the attention of David and the nation. And so it is wise to consider what God would have us and our nation and all nations learn when disaster strikes. Notice as well the importance the Lord places on keeping covenants and keeping promises. Saul broke the covenant that was made to the Gibeonites years earlier, and this was a sinful and wicked to do. God calls on his church and his people and all peoples uh, to keep our promises, to keep our responsibilities. And when people or nations fail to do this, the Lord can and often does bring calamity to get our attention. Certainly, for saved individuals, there, there is a way in which the Lord brings, brings our sins to our attention as well. For example, in 1 Peter 3, husbands are told to love their wives as, as Christ loved the church, and they are to be treated with understanding and honor. And then Peter adds this line, so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, the Lord can and it might create distance and unsatisfying prayer life in connection with Him on husbands that are not treating their wives well so that they might address that sin and in uh, turn. Let us also note the Lord's patience and His persistence. He waited years after this event, giving opportunity for repentance. Uh, unbelievers are reminded in Romans 2 and 4, Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? We are not to take the Lord's patience as permission, for you never know when you will be called upon to stand before Him. Today is the day to repent and trust in Jesus, if you have not already done so. But tomorrow is not promised to any of us. We are not to, to put off or delay dealing with sin or trusting in Jesus. And for believers, 
The Lord is certainly patient with us, but we too are not to use his patient love as an excuse for, for failing to address sins or being uh, what we might call spiritual procrastinators. Turn from sin today and seek to grow in godliness now and, and not put off things that need to be dealt with. Second, justice by substitution for the Gibeonites in verses 3 through 9. Now the Lord let David know exactly why the famine was occurring, and now the issue needs to be dealt with in a godly way. Now David calls the Gibeonites to meet with him, and in verse 3, he asks them, What should I do for you? How can I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? Now David does the right thing here and approaches the aggrieved persons and asks them how he can atone for, for what has been done to them so as to receive blessing and reconciliation. Of course, what's asked for will have to be biblical to be approved, but it is good that David does not impose his ideas, but humbly confesses wrong and asks for their offered solution. They respond in verse 4 by refusing to accept silver or gold as a substitute for, for the death penalty. And they are right to refuse this. Scripture says in Numbers 35 and 31, You shall not take ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And they also recognize that they have no legal right as foreigners to demand the death penalty. Uh, King David will have to consent to that. And here King David does so. In verses 5 and 6, they, they then point to Saul and notice that they don't even name him. The one who killed many of them and, and tried to completely exterminate them. His attempted genocide needs to be atoned for. And so they ask that seven of Saul's sons or, or descendants be given to the Gibeonites, that they can hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And David replies, I will give them. The death penalty is, is biblical, and it has been clearly stated as such in Scripture from very early on. Uh, way back in Genesis 9 and 6, we're told, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made him. He made man. Uh, the Old Testament law stated that the death penalty was to be given for various crimes, including kidnapping, adultery, and murder. Yet our passage deals with a situation many years after the fact. Saul is long dead, as are the victims of his sinful command. But in his command as king, he violated a covenant promise made to the Gibeonites and killed many. Numbers 35 and 33 says, No atonement can be made for the land for bloodshed in it, except for the blood of the one who shed it. Now, there can be, uh, there can be no, no killing of Saul, however, because he is, he is long dead. And so the Gibeonites asked for the death of seven blood relatives as representatives to bear the punishment. 
Now, usually, uh, children were not to be put to death for the sins of their fathers. And that's uh, clearly stated in Deuteronomy 24 and 16. But this case is clearly presented as an exception. The Gibeonites' request is actually, in many ways, very restrained and holds back from an attitude of revenge. Seven in Old Testament times is, is the number of completeness, the perfect number. And so they do not ask for an eye for an eye. They could probably tabulate the, the number of people who were killed by Saul's command. The people that were lost in this attempted genocide. But they don't do that. They ask for a small representative number, a perfect number that will satisfy justice. Notice as well that the, men for, that the men to die are to be hanged, which is a sign of God's curse. Deuteronomy 21 and 23 says, He who is hanged is a curse of God. The soul's sin was done as he was king of Israel, the anointed king chosen of the Lord, as they say. And so God's curse upon him is clearly displayed in the deaths of these representatives. In verses 7 and 8, David then chooses the seven descendants of Saul who will be executed. Notice that we're specifically told that David does not choose Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, since he had made a, a promise years earlier to Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, that he would show loving kindness and, and spare the lives of his descendants. 1 Samuel 20, 15 and 16, Jonathan says, you shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So David, or Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. And so David remembers that covenant promise and he keeps it. He chooses two sons of Saul by his concubine Rizpah and five sons of Saul's daughter Mirah. And these seven men are then given over to the Gibeonites. And verse 9 tells us that they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord at the time of the beginning of the barley harvest, or since there's still a famine, what would have been the barley harvest. And that's a powerful image there, that the lack of a decent harvest during this uh, drought and famine is tied to these executions. Saul's sins are why there is no harvest. And these seven men will pay for Saul's sins with their lives as representatives of his family. Now, as we look at this, it may strike us as unfair. Since these men are not said to have participated in the genocide, and in fact some of them may not have even been alive at the time. But the Lord accepts it on the basis of the principle of substitution. Old Testament worship involved the sacrificial killing of animals as they symbolically had the wrath of God placed on them instead of on the, the believing sinner. Leviticus 17 and 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Now Saul's descendants' deaths 
We need to be careful here. Did not atone for sin in a saving way for anyone. But they did point to the wrath of God for sin and the appeasement of wrath by substitution and the Lord's grace in removing a curse by that substitution as the Lord will remove the famine that he has brought. Matthew Henry writes, They were hanged up under a mark, under a mark of God's displeasure. For the law said in Deuteronomy 21, He that is hanged is accursed of God. They were hanged in Gibeah of Saul to show that it was for his sins that they died. To expiate the guilt of the house of Saul. To turn away the wrath of God which, uh, with, uh, with, which had withheld harvest mercies for some years past and to obtain his favor. And in a very powerful way, uh, this action points us to the saving and substitutionary work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and the offer of forgiveness and mercy in the gospel of grace. Uh, you and I and, and all human beings are sinners. We are covenant breakers <clears throat> as we break God's laws, which are given in His Word and imprinted on our consciences. When our lives are held up against the law of God, we are shown to be guilty sinners. Romans 3 says, By the works of the law no flesh will be justified in His sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We deserve judgment and eternal condemnation. And Romans 6 and 23 tells us the wages of sin is death. But by God's grace there is a way to be spared what you and I deserve. God the Father sent God the Son to be the saving substitute for all those who would trust in Him. God the Son, the eternal second person of the Trinity, became also fully human to be our saving substitute. He obeyed all of God's laws, which we fail to do, and on the cross, He took the wrath of God due to all of His people for all of our sins. Galatians 3 says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Isaiah 53 and 5 tells us, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging we are healed. After three days, God the Father raised Him from the dead, a, a living Savior and an accepted sacrifice. And all those who trust in Him are covered by His righteousness, forgiven by His sacrifice, justified at God's judgment seat, and fully reconciled to Him. Romans 3 says, God has made known a righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. And so believers are, are given eternal life and relationship with the triune God 
The Old Testament sacrifices pictured all of this. And even these, these uh, sacrifices of these sinful men, their, their, the justice for Saul's sins being brought on them, points to this same principle of substitution. And so, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for His saving work, praise Him and, and thank Him and praise God the Father uh, for what has been done for you in the substitutionary death of Jesus. For it is in Him that the wrath that you and I deserve uh, has been satisfied. Well, third and finally, respect sadness and an answer to prayer in verses 10 through 14. In these verses we're told of the, the grief and dedication of the mother of two of the executed men. Rizpah is, is the widow concubine of, the, of King Saul, and her two sons by Saul were among the seven executed. We learn that she takes sackcloth, which is the material associated with mourning, and she spreads it out on a rock near where her sons and the other men are hanging. And she protects their dead bodies from being picked at and eaten by birds or wild animals. And we're told she does this day and night from the beginning of the barley harvest until the Lord brought rain. Now, there's question about how long a period this is. Some scholars suggest that it might be an extended period of time. The barley harvest is typically in April, and the rainy season is typically in October. So it's possible that she kept vigil like this from April till October. Now, normally, dead bodies were to be buried the same day. Uh, that's following uh, Deuteronomy 21 and 23. It says that the land, that this is to be done so that the land will not become defiled. But in this case, the land is already defiled because of what was done years earlier. And so these men are left hanging until God lifts the curse. This is probably an extended period of time. And, and this mother is mourning over her sons in deep despair. And there is a reminder here of the appropriateness of grief over death. And there's an appropriateness to, to dwell on the meaning of the wrath of God and how it is to be atoned for. No doubt as the months went by, she thought about these things deeply in her mourning. Dale Ralph Davis writes, There is something, something irreducibly sad about this sight, and the writer would fill your senses with it, as if to say, Look what comes from covenant breaking. Whoever stops to consider the wrath of God? Nearly no one. But our writer says you should. Share the tragedy. It will do you good. As we're reminded in Psalm 90, who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. 
for protection of their dead bodies also reminds us that we are to honor the dead and treat dead bodies with respect as those made in God's image. Even in death, after one's soul goes to either heaven or hell, one's body is still that person and waits for the resurrection. And so we are not allowed to, to desecrate dead bodies or, uh, or practice the abuse of a corpse if we can possibly prevent it. And so she honors them by protecting their dead bodies. We see as well in our passage that David is touched by her actions. And in verses 11 through 14, we're told that, that he has Saul and Jonathan's bones exhumed uh, where they were buried in, in Jabesh Gilead. Uh, you'll recall that they were removed from the Philistines uh, way back in 1 Samuel 31. And he now has them buried with the bodies of the seven executed men in their family plot of Saul's father, Kish. And so David, too, shows respect for the dead and gives them all a respectful burial. Finally, we're told in verse 14, the Lord was moved by prayer for the land. And so he brings an end to the drought and famine. Verse 10 tells us, uh, we passed over that earlier, but verse 10 told us that it rained at some point. Likely, uh, we may think in the rainy season that fall, after it had not been rainy for three years. But now the Lord brings that much needed rain. He is satisfied, in other words, with the resolution that David approved and the deaths of Saul's descendants to appease his wrath over Saul's breaking of the covenant and the slaughter of the Gibeonites. And he answered his people's prayers for mercy. There is a reminder here that when people respond appropriately, uh, the Lord is is uh, pleased to remove what He brought to bring or to get their attention. And so, may we respond appropriately to the things the Lord brings our way to get our attention. Uh, that that He that uh, He would be glorified. Now, the Lord sometimes brings discipline of believers and and of his people when we go astray. We're reminded in Hebrews 12, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet for those who it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And for a nation, our nation or any nation, and for individuals yet outside of Christ, may, may you be responding uh, to the hard things that God sends with, with the searching of your hearts and, and humility and repentance and trust in the only Savior and King of uh, men and nations, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only in Him that atonement is found. John 3 and 36 reminds us, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And we're reminded in Scripture that one day the nations will repent and turn. May that be in our day. May we live to see it. 
Isaiah 2 says, Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Let us pray together. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you for this portion of your word and ask that you might apply it to our hearts. We do thank you for, uh, for what was done in David's day uh, to, make, uh, to make atonement uh, for wrongs that had been committed against the Gibeonites. And we're thankful for this principle of substitution that you, you show us all through your, your scripture. And we thank you for the ultimate example of it in the Lord Jesus Christ and his substitutionary uh, death on behalf of those who trust in him. And we thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. And we pray for those who, who are listening who may not have done that. We pray that you would move in them by the, your Holy Spirit that they would be trusting in Christ and His substitution. Forgive them of their sins and be brought the gift of your salvation. And we pray for the nations, uh, our own nation included. And certainly we have national sins and, and wickedness that, uh, that we bear. May we be responding in these days to the difficulties that uh, you bring through the pandemic and, and other things as well. May we not just shrug that off, but may we and the nations of the world respond rightly uh, to, to the difficulty you bring, to examine themselves and their national sins, and to repent of them and turn to Christ to faithfully follow him. May we see that in our day in this land and in all the countries of the world. To your glory. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.